This podcast is supported by Red Energy, powered by the mighty Snowy Hydro, a leader in renewable energy. Red is a hundred percent Australian owned and local. Phone one three one eight zero six. We're so used to scheduling our lives around footy. I think the AFL was very frightened that people might just give up on it. It's not really up to us to say we've had enough. It's a pandemic. I think we all patted ourselves on the back and thought, Yahoo, we've done well. He replied via email, grouse, exclamation. (laughs) (laughs) I haven't said grouse grouse. since the Halebury fate in 1975, I reckon. It's just chaos, Cara, in the AFL. What can you tell us? It's chaos because of Victoria, really, and because state premiers don't want Victorian football teams coming into their states. Um, Made further chaotic by player unrest. Don't Shoot the Messenger podcast with Caroline Wilson and Corey Perkin. Thanks to Red Energy, powered by Snowy Hydro, a leader in renewable energy. Call 131 806 for real Aussie energy. Hello everyone, welcome to Don't Shoot the Messenger. This is episode 134. I am Corrie Perkin and I have two friends with me today. Our usual podster friend, Caroline Wilson. Hi, Caro. Hello, Corrie. Lovely to be here. Well, I'm not quite there, but I'm remotely here and it's great to see you. You are. We are talking (laughs) to you via the work, work, work. And although we can't see you, we can hear you through our laptop. You're having a couple of days working from home. Lucky you. Wish I was there. Hope you've got the electric blanket on. <laughs> Are you in bed, Carol? As you know, Corrie, the best place to do any remote recording, and I found this on the app with the Age podcast as well, you need to be in a soft room with lots of cushions. So to me, that reads bed. <laughs> <laughs> Some people have been doing Zooms in their laundry. Some people have been doing Zooms in their baby's nursery when the baby's not there. People have been Zooming from lots of interesting places over the last few weeks. Margaret Gordon, our technician um, at The Age, who does our Age footy podcast, every week I say, say, Margaret, you still haven't emptied that ironing basket. (laughs) When we're trying to dissect the footy man, and there is a bit of footy to talk about today, it's all a bit of a disaster. But anyway, Corrie, introduce our next guest. Uh, Well, we're back, we're joined back by popular demand, as they say. Anna from the op shop, Anna Barry. Hello, Anna. Hello, Corrie. Hello, Caro, remotely. Yeah, Anna is in the studio with us today, which is great (laughs) because otherwise Miss Jane and I would have been feeling a bit lonesome. But Anna, it's lovely to have you back. And I do want to ask you a few questions about how um, Corona lockdown has been going with you in the last few weeks since we most recently spoke. Absolutely. And we have a couple of um, wonderful uh, tips, Um, book book screen and food. Anna has a book. Caro is going to discuss a curiously addictive ABC British comedy drama, which I actually hooked into, Caro, after you said you were going to talk about it. I watched two episodes back to back. I'm with you. I really like it. And I have a recipe for what is possibly the best lemon slice (laughs) I have ever tasted since the CWA in Hamilton a couple of years ago. We've got lots to talk about on the footy front. Um, Anna has a crush and she is also grumpy too, which um, I can't wait to hear what she's grumpy about. I have a few grumpies, but I'm very happy for our guests to be grumpy. First to our mailbag, though, we've had lots of correspondence this week, Cara. Quite a bit of spider activity following on from our anecdote a couple of weeks ago about oh. Francesca and the and the huntsman in her car. Um, and 
quite a bit of uh, love for the topic of fridge magnets. Yvonne Count via Facebook said, just listened to your pod on my very foggy morning walk and decided to send you a photo of my fridge. As you can see, I am a sucker for fridge magnets. Over 30 years ago, I started collecting souvenir teaspoons of places I had visited. The novelty wore off when I had to polish them because they went black. Hence, they disappeared to be replaced by magnets. Yvonne has sent us a photograph, Anna and Carol. I think you can both see it, of her fridge, which is just a joy to behold. It looks like a bit of a Jackson Pollock (laughs) painting from the... um, the photograph that I can see, although I'm sure that they all have lots of meaning, but it's very colourful and really wonderful. I love the thong. I think we need to apologise to Joe because Joe, our friend, um, former nanny and former slave and babysitter and all the cook, she was most offended by me saying she hated fridge magnets. He only, he has some very tasteful fridge magnets and Felt that I've completely besmirched her reputation, Corrie. So <laughs> sorry, Joe. <laughs> Blue underscore mum on Insta said, we have fridge magnets for each significant holiday we have taken. Pre-COVID, it was always a great talking point for visitors as they inevitably congregated in the kitchen. That's so true. Like, Anna, you're looking at the little gnome, garden gnome up the top there of Yv- Yvette's fridge. It caught my eye, exactly. Yes, it's quite interesting because you want to know the story behind it, don't you? Anyway, there you go. Thanks, everyone. I'm very determined now to have a My Bookshop fridge magnet. That's a good idea. Well, the straw poll last week, Anna, was I just wondered, was it a, would people use it or not? Totally. So, Kay Jones via email, thanks Kay for your email, says, really enjoyed your discussion of Mrs. America and the women's movement of the 1970s which, of course, we've talked about in a couple of episodes on our podcast. And Kay goes on to say, I haven't watched Mrs America yet, but thought you might be interested in a book written by UK journalist Helen Lewis called Difficult Women, A History of Feminism in 11 Fights. And she heard about this, unfortunately, with Fee and Jane, which, of course, is one of our favourite podcasts. And Helen Lewis was the guest. Kay says the writing is lively, witty, articulate and well-researched. And she thinks that... Caro might particularly enjoy the chapter entitled Play, which is about women's sport. So many wonderful discussions on our uh, Instagram and our email. Thank you, everybody, for joining in. Caro, we finished our June challenges. I wondered how you ended up. Well, I, I ended up as um, I ended as I started, Corrie, with a bit of a slump <laughs> in the middle. I have had a, a, a tiny, tiny mini break where I have been baking and walking and I think we were all just getting a bit, and we're going to talk about the situation in Victoria in a moment, but we were all getting a bit, not complacent, but we were starting to go out a bit more. I was getting back into that real winter funk of overwork, not enough um, exercise. And I've had a lovely few days to end June. I've walked and walked and walked. I've looked at beautiful sunrises and sunsets. I've baked. Anna, I made your, well, what you made famous quite recently, the um, Otto Lingi chicken with clementines. I've done Good roast chicken. I've made afghans. I've made the apple and raspberry cake. You know, I've had a, I've been, I feel as I'm getting back in touch with my domestic and exercising and healthy self. Round to yours, I reckon, don't you, Anna? Oh. Especially if she's cooked that raspberry <laughs> cake. Oh, no, the afghans had me. I love a good Afghan. <laughs> yeah, well, there's a really good recipe for the manor in the um, latest gourmet traveller, which I extolled the virtues of last week. What about you, Corrie? How did you, how is 
How is the book? Okay, so I've made quite good progress over the weekend. I have had a cold, which I can assure everybody it is a cold. It was picked up from one of my grandchildren who picked it up from her crèche, as it happens. So even though I felt fine, no temperature, I have had the running nose and a bit of a cough, so it was best to sort of stay at home for a couple of days, I felt particularly when I had a coughing fit in the shop and about six customers looked at me and we're out of here. <laughs> so that wasn't diplomatically uh, appropriate. But anyway, I, I had a real crack at the first chapter and I'm kind of enjoying, what am I enjoying? I'm enjoying the imagination of like letting go of time, the imagination of becoming the main character, Mr. Kitten, who lives in a house with a beautiful garden with Uncle Affy, a name I, I remembered was one of Victoria's nine children, Queen Victoria. Prince Alfred was always known as Affy, and I kind of liked that name. So Uncle Affy is, at this stage in my head, a, a kind of a grey... Um, bit old school. Yeah. Remember when we were in Cornwall, Anna, when we were walking, we decided the dog, is it a bloodhound with the big droopy with eyes? With the big eyes, yes. Yeah. Is that the one that we... Yeah, so I that's, what I, have in my, that's mm. what I have in my head anyway. And, of course, they're joined, as always, by Geoffrey the parrot. Like all parrots, he's about 50 or 60 years of age, but he has a Scottish accent because he was once owned by a Scottish pirate. So that's kind of curious. Geoffrey is a real worry water. And when Mr. Kitten says, I'm off to town to buy the groceries, Geoffrey's in a tease saying to Uncle Laffy, remember what happened last time when you gave him money, he ended up in Miss Fluff's tie shop. It's coming together. <laughs> it's coming together. Now, the nemesis, Caro, the nemesis, I have had quite a bit of correspondence from people saying they liked the idea of the fox. And one of my publishing friends said that foxes do really well in children's books because of international appeal. And they weren't sure, although the bandicoot was a cute idea, they weren't sure how that would translate overseas. Having said that, though, Anna and Caro, Inspector Tibbs, who is the head of the local constabulary, is actually a koala. But I figure that most people know what a koala is around the world. I think around the world. I oh, think foxes. Koalas are world famous. <laughs> yeah, particularly after the tragic events of um, summer. I mean, koalas have become an international. I think that's a very good marketing move, Corrie. But Do you think? further from our friend Paul Thompson, who's taken a great interest in this book, he, he said, you, you forgot to tell Corrie that the bandicoot has to have one eye. Brendan, the one-eyed bandicoot, he just reckons that's got a real ring. Bandicoots could become a world-famous phenomenon as a result of this book, I reckon. You could it's put them a on good the map. Word, bandicoot. Well, the nemesis, is, his name is Roland Scarothers. Don't ask me how I got that. Oh, Actually, okay. do ask me how I got that. I went on to, because I thought this has to be local, I went on to the first, well, not the first fleet, but I went into the Tasmanian Historical Society. Don't ask me what I was doing there looking for people who were on the first boat to well, come to. And there was a Roland. Well, there wasn't a Roland, but it, there was a Scarothers, and I thought that is such a fine old-fashioned name. You're getting the Tassie vote now. <laughs> You're really making it. It's going to be a global <laughs> sensation. Anyway, so that's that. So I will I will keep potties. Uh, <laughs> I'll give them a progress update every now and then. When I get the book and film deal, you'll all know about it. Caro, what about July? Just to quickly introduce what you are going to be doing this coming week. Two words, Corrie, home improvements. Oh, haven't you done that one and before? that involves, well, I know I've done it before, but you you're always improve improving your, your home. home. It's, ne it's never a finished I'm, job, is it? Let's face it. I'm clearing, I'm cleaning, I'm redesigning, I'm moving things around. I might have purchased a new sofa over the last few weeks on a 
at a very um, at a very good rate, and I'm planning a whole new living area around it. I'm changing things around, and I'm really looking forward to it. So, by the end of July, you can all come round if you're allowed to come round, and we can um, you can admire my um, changes. I'm, oh, I'm also throwing out as how often do we talk about this? I'm throwing out as well. You do do a lot of throwing out. Uh, when you said you can come around and have a look, I thought you were going to say, Anna, and I can come around and give you a hand. I was going to put my foot down at that. <laughs> no. no, no, just admire my admire my beautiful handiwork. Well, girls, Miss Jane, Anna and Caro, you, you, well, you will, uh, you will identify with my challenge, which is going to be I'm going to make a start on the books beside my bed, the bedside bookshelf that looks oh. at you, the pile that looks at you. Are you going to edit? Month after month, year after year. Well, no, because I feel then like I'm moving children around and I haven't actually paid them any attention, you know. No, like, so go into the other room and I'll forget about you. I have they, they all deserve attention, Anna. Really? But, but I'm going to, including the book that you talked about on this program last year, which I still have not read, even though I have a copy. I bought a copy from the shop, The with- Truants. Oh, by Kate Warnberg. put that at number one, please. That I is, thought I might. It's a fabulous winter read. Fabulous. So there's a there's an eclectic pile there of fiction and non-fiction. I'll probably only get through a couple, but I thought, well, let, that can be my mm. challenge because it's been staring at me. And the number of customers, Anna and Caro, who come into the shop and say, oh, I shouldn't buy another book. I have a pile beside the bed that is so tall I can't jump over. It must be a common thing. <laughs> oh, mine, mine's been chewed by Freddie the puppy, so I'm just – mine are just – Disappearing as they, are. we, we are going <laughs> to we out. are going to get a Freddie update later on in my six quick questions, Anna. So I'm desperate Absolutely. to hear how that puppy's going. Now, girls, on to uh, again, yet again. This is week fourteen of us discussing coronavirus. I can't believe it, but so much has happened, and I did want to check in with everyone's mental health here. This week, of course, Victorian Premier Daniel Andrews has decided tough action is required following an alarming spike in COVID cases. Lockdown is back for thirty six suburbs in Melbourne which affects roughly 300,000 people. And from Thursday of this week in which we are recording, the only reasons people living in these postcodes uh, can move around is to exercise or to go to work or to buy essential items such as food, to access childcare or to access healthcare. And these restrictions will be on these suburbs until at least July 29. All international flights to Melbourne will be diverted for the next two weeks and um, a whole lot more. Uh, how do we feel about these new restrictions, girls? Good news, bad news, happy with Dan the man coming out being so tough and so fierce. Is he approaching this health crisis effectively? A lot of people have speculated that his electoral popularity has slumped and, in fact, news poll in The Australian on the weekend showed that he had taken a bit of a dip. What are our feelings? Caro, what do you think? Well... Well, I think, Corrie, that, um, you know, it's, it, it is funny watching the um, opinion of people on, I mean, two months ago, people were bailing us up at the me up at the market and saying it's ridiculous, we should be allowed to play golf and he's been far too tough and he was sort of, you know, Chairman Dan. Now um, they're saying he wasn't tough enough. So it, it's been a, it, look, it's been a disaster in Victoria. It's so unfortunate and I think the most damaging story out of the announcements that happened earlier in the week was that they've, they've announced a Royal Commission into the quarantine situation. And the people who have broken the rules of quarantine, the the failure of security is something that has, has really caused this. 
And it's so, I think it's so depressing, isn't it, Anna, mm. when you get to a point where you're coming out of it and then you go back into it again. I think that's the thing that has been so difficult. Completely difficult. And now with the hotspot lockdown, I can't, I mean, I understand how it's going to work, but I don't quite understand how it is going to work. And I think all those small businesses in those, the lockdown postcodes, I mean, on the news this morning, they had traders saying, we're probably going to go to the wall. We've just reopened. I mean, it's absolutely tragic what's happening. And I don't know whether, I mean, obviously people are saying it's just a few that haven't done the right thing, but were we too lethargic? Did we think we were out of it too soon? Maybe we should have realised we were in it for the long haul. I don't know. I mean, I feel really depressed about the whole situation. Middle of winter, well, you know. Well, that's right, Anna. We talked about this last week and I'm interested to know how you've gauged it, both personally and also now that you're back working in the op shop. I was saying to Caro and the potties last week that I had noticed a distinct change in the mood of the people coming into the shops, which is just a yeah, a grassroots mm. sample, of course. But people coming in and they just felt like, when is this going to be over? They had been brave and strong and pretty resilient and reasonably optimistic and enjoyed certain aspects of lockdown, like spending time with your family. Yeah. But they had had enough last week. I felt like the tide turned. What about you? I completely agree, but it's not really up to us to say we've had enough. It's a pandemic. I think we all patted ourselves on the back and thought, yahoo, we've done well. I mean, I've got the 23-year-old at home that just says, mum, I'm just sick of it. Well, it's not up to you to be sick of it. It is what it is. I mean, apart from the fact you can't travel and all those sort of restrictions, you've just got to sit tight. I mean, we've we've been out a little bit, um, but really, we're just at home doing nothing because I think that's what you need to be doing. I don't... What about the mood in the op shop? You've had amazing sales, which has been incredible. We've had amazing sales. I think I'm really glad the op shop's opened for lots of reasons. I think we're a real community hub in a, in a good way in that there's only 28 people in the shop at any time and all the social distancing is still obviously completely top priority. But um, it's great to be – personally, it's great to be back at work. I feel we're sort of, you know, helping out. And it's gone gangbusters. I mean, we did 120000 Dollars in June, which is an extraordinary amount. Lordy, for a, a little op shop on Chapel Street. Yes, so I no, envy, been, the, I envy <laughs> those figures. No, it's been fabulous. But the mood in the op shop is still. I think everyone's just pottering around, feeling a little bit down in the dumps, as they probably should be. But I mean, imagine if you're in a lockdown suburb. You've got a whole month of back to where we were. It'd be terrible. Well, it's really interesting, uh, Caro and Anna. I was listening to an interview from a resident in a small area in Germany. I'm not actually sure where it is, Gutteslow. And they have been in lockdown for a few weeks. This is an an example of localised lockdown, which we are now Mm. seeing with the suburbs of Melbourne. And they interviewed, this followed an outbreak at the local meat processing or meat packing factory. And so the government just said, right, we're locking down this whole suburb. And and the the lockdown, as I understand it, is way tougher than the one that's happening to Melbourne's 36 municipalities. So they interviewed the resident this week on radio who was just in a fury about this and said the local anxiety is through the roof, mental health is an issue, people are angry, someone has tried to sue the local council or local government authority for you know lack of human rights observation 
and the whole place is just a bomb that's ready to explode. Well, that could be all ahead of us. I mean, I know they're going to try and police it with the police and, you know, roadblocks, but, I mean, how the hell's that going to work? And, you know, the people that won't even have the COVID test, I mean, it, it's got to have a whole new mindset. Carol, are, are you noticing anguish and anger? Oh, I've, I've noticed it a lot more over the last couple of weeks, people quite hostile in supermarkets, etc. I've also seen, you know, in parks and by beaches, huge family gatherings, which look incredibly dangerous to me. I mean, you, 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 know, you feel devastated by the good folk of, you know, the Union Street, Street shopping, shopping strip and, Anyone in Ascot Vale or Jakarta or Brunswick. I mean, it's a, it must be must be so upsetting. Yes, they've all been given a five thousand dollar bonus to keep their businesses alive, but oh, I think it's just dreadful. And and it, for the first time, it feels like we're a police state, doesn't it? Because you will be stopped going to certain places, and we have never seen that ever in the history of our state. And you know, obviously more. Um, Weird is the fact that Victorians are the scourge of the country. But the headline of the West Australian the other day was Victoria. Like that's a new nickname. It's and you know and and if, imagine if you're about to go on school holidays and you've been told now if you live in one of those suburbs, if you live in Jakarta, you can't go on school holidays unless you've already left. Will will was there a mass exodus? you know, the day after the announcement. I think it's been really difficult to navigate for all the leaders, both sport and politics and the arts, but it just seems now that what they've said, this is this could be an impending disaster unless we do the right thing. So I really, and I'm, I'm glad there's no more people from overseas coming into the country, into the state for the next month, because to think that there's been such failures of security at those areas is just staggering to me. Well, I, I'm quite appreciative of the tough action of the government uh, because for many, many reasons, in particular, if we look at the disaster, which is the United States, Dr. Anthony Fauci in an interview overnight with Elizabeth, Senator Elizabeth Warren said that the virus was out of control and that at the moment they have 40,000 new cases a day and it's highly likely that that will jump up to 100,000 cases a day, new cases a day. So it's an absolute disaster this 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 um the, the situation over there so look we will watch this space no doubt we'll be talking about this for a few more weeks oh, absolutely uh, but it is uh, it is the the topic of conversation i know probably some of our messengers out there are getting a bit bored but i i do feel that there are many aspects including mental health including working from home including all sorts of uh important issues that we can discuss here um and um just stay safe everybody now on to Another area of turmoil, Caro, this is your area of expertise, the AFL. What on earth is happening? Anna, did you catch any of the games on the weekend? Oh, I tried to, and even I, who is an absolute footy nut, had to turn them off because it was just really tedious TV viewing. Well, just... I thought the Hawthorne game was going to be tedious until the last 15 minutes. By Sunday night, I'd actually moved on to Belgravia and other things. So I wasn't actually doing the Hawks North. But it's just chaos, Cara, in the AFL. What can you tell us? Well, it's, it's chaos because of Victoria, really, and because state premiers don't want Victorian football teams coming into their states. Um, made further chaotic by player unrest, 
I mean, you know, Trent Cochin has said that at least two Richmond players, Basha Hawley and Shane Edwards, might not want to travel into an interstate hub. And Richmond are at the top of the list to go into another another one of these hubs, along with St Kilda and Carlton, I think, because they haven't played interstate. When Gillan McLaughlin has to get up at the start of the week and say the fixture's been thrown out again... And everyone's, it's it's enough only planning two weeks ahead, but when this week's games get moved, I mean, everybody's plans change. And every, we're, we're so used to scheduling our lives around footy. I think the AFL is very frightened that people might just give up on it. Oh, it's- Personally, I'm not going to give up on it, although I felt like giving up on Richmond after that performance against St Kilda, Anna. <laughs> oh, totally they have, agree. Had, they, have had, they have had a crook come back from COVID, haven't they? Oh, as our friend Trudy said, too much time watching Netflix, not enough time on the track. <laughs> they just didn't want to win on yeah. Saturday. It was just awful, very depressing Saturday but night. But it's such home. a topsy-turvy. It, it, all, all clubs, even Hawthorne, 31 points up at, at, at three-quarter time. Who would have thought? It was interesting watching it on Fox Footy on Sunday night, Caro and Anna, that Hawks-North Melbourne game. At the end of the game, Gary Lyon and Anthony Hudson were just saying it's a real lesson in don't turn your television off yeah. this season, isn't it? <laughs> just when you think, it's just when you think, yeah, oh yeah, that's I in the bag. I don't think we needed Alistair Clarkson. I don't think we needed Alistair Clarkson then coming out and saying the game's a disaster. It looks dreadful, and that wasn't exactly I'm sorry a good PR move. No, he hasn't been the um, AFL's best PR marketing tool this uh, season, has oh. he? He's been, he's been awful, and Anna, I'm I'm disappointed to hear you know Jack Revolt say, well, look, you know even putting doubt on him going into a hub. I mean, you just feel that some clubs have just thrown themselves into this and said we are going to just thrive and we are going to go with whatever happens and we're going to be flexible. And it's it's the – well, certainly two teams that were premiership favourites in Richmond and West Coast have just not coped at all at with all. the lack of um, – the lack of certainty and the lack of structure. I mean, you would have thought that those teams would be embracing, you know, would be so strong and so connected that they would find it quite easy to cope. But it's sort of been the other way around. It's all fallen apart. Gold Coast Suns, I mean, they're at three out of three, on fire, absolutely rocketing. I know this and- is probably impossible to do, but can you predict season 2020 where we're going to go? Or is it, or is it just as they always say in footy, we're taking one week at a time? <laughs> Oh, well, well, you literally are at the moment. I mean, never has that saying been more true, Corrie. It's getting in, going to be increasingly difficult to get that grand final on October 24, which is sort of the for we Victorians, better known as Cox Plate Weekend. Um, you, you think it might be pushed out with players going into hubs and then having to quarantine and week breaks, etc. But at, at the very... I, I think it's almost... It's very likely now we'll see an, a grand final in November, so it is going to be a long season. But I just hope they keep the season afloat and keep it alive because it's so important for the industry and the economy of the industry and for football supporters. And as bad as it is in Victoria, where really, you know, we're the heartland, we're the home of footy, there are, there are grounds around the country now, like Brisbane, like the Gabba, where they're going to be able to have 50% capacity at their ground. They're going to be able to have 20,000 supporters, 25,000 supporters. Ditto in West Australia. And that's just that's going to be so good to watch, you know, games with um, people in grounds again. And you just wonder if Victoria stays this way, whether we actually will get, um, whether we will get the grand final in Melbourne because there'll be a big push to move it, I reckon. 
Caro, the other big story of the week, of course, is the Sam Newman, Mark Sheehan, Don Scott podcast, which in their podcast that they do weekly uh, last week, they attacked, uh, well, Sam did. He started the conversation, Nicky Winmar and the whole pointing at uh, lifting his jumper at Victoria Park and that very famous game, St Kilda against Collingwood, pointing to his skin colour as a statement against anti-Indigenous comments that he'd heard that day in the crowd. And, of course, Wayne Ludby, the Sunday Age photographer, who at the time was a colleague of yours and mine, and we can remember so clearly he was so excited and amazed that he'd actually caught that moment. And that photograph, of course, has become iconic. The suggestion by the podcast gang that this was not a statement about Indigenous politics, but it was a statement about um, Nicky Winmar pointing to his stomach saying, we had the guts to, you know, to beat you. Nicky Winmar has apparently been devastated by this. He and Wayne Ludby have decided to take court action and, or legal action, I should say. And since then, our friend and occasional visitor to our podcast, Mike Sheehan, has stood himself down from that podcast. He's left it. He has apologised. What are your thoughts? And were you one of the influential football folk who did have a chat to Mike about this, which helped him see the light and change his mind? I, I'm not sure if he listened to me. In fact, I haven't. I have called him, but I haven't spoken to him since the podcast. I've been telling him for years to quit this podcast, and so have a lot of senior people, much more senior than me, in footy. And, you know, Sam made a big show of that when he finally did step down this week, that he'd been, you know, hijacked by all the people around him who've told him to leave and, you know, he's, he's gone. And uh, Sam, Sam made it bitter and bile-ridden, bile-laden really to the end, Corrie. It was awful. Um, but, um, and Mike did apologise and, and said he, he had hurt a lot of Indigenous people who he counts as friends, including Adam Goods and Michael O'Loughlin, who both called him after he made the comments. I didn't hear anyone on the podcast actually back away from what they said last week, though. I didn't hear Don Scott say, I I now accept that um, it was racially motivated. I didn't hear Sam say that. I think Mike just apologised for all the people he hurt and upset for his comments. I mean, Mike didn't actually say it was fact that Nikki Winmar was in fact saying, I've, we've got guts and we've got heart, rather than I'm black and I'm proud of it. But he didn't sort of dissuade anyone from that view. And if you listen to the podcast, that's why it was so damaging, because Mike has so much credibility. And when he says that stuff, you know, he, he upsets, upsets people, no less Wayne Ludby. Mike and Wayne have worked together for years and were great colleagues, but Wayne was devastated. And, of course, um, they've sought to take a legal route. I'm not sure where that is now, but Nicky Winmar doesn't want his legacy to be tarnished. It's been a really extraordinary story and, um, quite, you know, just the, the timing of it is is just incredible because, of course, the whole nation at the moment is focused on this issue with the whole Black Lives Matter. It's very prominent in so many people's minds and for this to occur on what must have just been a uh, just a conversation like we're having now and the ramifications have been absolutely huge and potentially devastating for Mike Sheehan so um but Corey it goes on that podcast every week I mean Sam Sam has been hijacked <coughs> by the crazy sort of right and um this Black Lives Matter thing has completely focused him and every week there's another attack on 
whether it's some um, George Floyd or whether it's the people around him or whether it's the people protesting, whether it's AFL players taking a knee. And you know the sort of people getting in his ear. And he is a perfect tool for them to incite more racial hatred and the sort of, you know, spot fires that emerge like the, you know, the, pe- the guy that attacked Eddie Betts again, you know, on social media. And um, Mike just had to get, he had to get away from that because it's just, awful for his, his reputation. Mm. Um, well, we'll move on now from footy. Watch this space, as they say, with the 2020 season. What a curly one it is indeed, Anna. <laughs> Will we ever be back at the MCG? I, I want to talk now. You you won't be surprised to hear this. I want to talk about the royal family. Um, this is this feels like family royal family crisis, chapter 387. The hot new unauthorised book on the Sussexes. Finding Freedom, Harry and Meghan and the Making of a Modern Royal Family by Royal Correspondents and Royal Watchers Omid Scobie and Carolyn Durand. This book, Anna and Caro, arrives in the bookshop. I haven't ordered a few. I've only ordered a few. I haven't ordered a truckload Um, (laughs) because I don't know who Omid Scobie is, actually. I was going to ask you that. Well, he he says a royal journalist. He Honestly, Anna, he looks about the age of your JB, your Mm. 23-year-old son. Mm. He doesn't look like he's been around for a long time. But anyway, apparently has followed the Harry-Meghan story since their wedding and is apparently quite close to the royal couple. This is, of course, an unauthorised biography, but have they spoken off the record? How do we know? And people are saying that this is going to be as hot as the Diana Andrew Morton um, tell-all of about 30 years ago. So I wondered, girls, will you be reading this book, Caro? Will you be buying a copy of Finding Freedom? Well, Corrie, as much as I love to support your bookshop, probably not, <laughs> but I probably, uh, I would suspect you should be ordering more than a few copies. Do you think? It sounds like, does it sound to you like Harry and Meghan have briefed this these journalists? Hard to say. They're, they're, of course, as you can imagine, the, the stories coming out at the moment about this book are drip, drip, drip. Almost every day there's a new salacious bit of gossip that's coming out of it. I'm not really sure, to be honest. Kensington Palace, of course, which has declined to comment on the book's impending release, the Royal Aids are very concerned that the biography will portray the Duke of Cambridge, Prince Harry, negatively. And um, there is a discussion that William is especially worried and they don't want this sort of family spat to be out there in the public. Now, I don't know. How do we know? How do we know whether Harry has sat down? What do you reckon, Anna? Do you think Harry and Meghan would sit down and have a long chat with a journalist? Would they be that stupid? I actually don't think they would. I'm going to wait for you to read it and then tell me the <laughs> good bits. I, I just, It just, I don't know, not really for me. I don't think it's going to be beside my bed waiting to be read. I'm a bit concerned about the qualifications of the people writing it. I'm sure they've done a terrific job in their research and so on, but I'm not sure how close they are. Um, Carol, you said the other day something about Prince William and the women's soccer scandal. What's that? Oh, well, well, it's not really a scandal, but um, one more on Harry and Meghan. They don't talk to the journalists themselves. They they give friends permission to give access. Oh, yes, of course. Do they have any friends? (laughs) <laughs> I don't know. I, th- I think, no. That that little excerpt about William saying to Harry, are you sure she's the right one? I thought that was pretty salacious. No, well, Prince William, of course, being an international football fan, soccer fan, um, when, when the when the announcement came last week that Australia and New Zealand had won the right to host the women's 
Soccer World Cup, um, there was a suggestion that Prince William, along with several other leading international figures on the board, had actually voted for Colombia because the view was that Australia and New Zealand are already well-developed with women's football and that Colombia was less developed and this would be a great way to improve and increase interest in soccer and development of soccer in that country. Well, people have just gone absolutely feral. Peter Fitzsimons on Channel 9 on Sunday basically brought up the spirit of the Anzacs and just said it was a betrayal (laughs) by Prince William if it's true that he did vote against the old Anzacs and instead went for Columbia. But the suggestion was that he did. So, look, I mean... I've missed the whole thing. Miss the whole thing. Oh, no. Aren't we, aren't, oh, no, aren't we trying to become a republic and stand on our own two feet? Oh, good on William, well, I, I say, mean, if he thinks that... Columbia might that. kick yeah. on. Pardon the pun. <laughs> no, the royals don't want us to become a republic. Peter Fitzsimons does. I think it's just another fuel, just another log in his um, republican fire. He was absolutely ropeable. Was I he mean, wearing the red surprising. headband? <laughs> 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 yes. That's him. That's him. Oh, God. Married to Lisa Wilkinson. Um, and there's also a bit of qu- pressure on Queen to support Black Lives Matter, which I just am staggered by. Apparently there has somebody in the UK has put together a, a poll and I don't know, like if somebody rang me at 6 o'clock at night as I was cooking the dinner saying, just wondering where you stand on the Queen's <laughs> poll, or comment, should she, should she comment? I would say, oh, get off. Uh, anyway, there has been a poll and... Britons, apparently, those who, who agreed to take the call, have said that uh, they've, they're evenly divided on whether the Queen should make a statement about Black Lives Matter. As if. <laughs> As if. Now, uh, crush of the week, Anna, you have a crush. And before we go to that, we just want to thank our podcast sponsors, Red Energy. Thank you, guys. You'll be pleased to know that officially we have signed up this week, our family, to Red Energy. And... The man of the household did call 131806. He did talk to a lovely person on the phone working out of the Richmond office, and we now have real Aussie energy. Hooray! Well done. done, Very excited about that. (laughs) I'll report in when the first bill arrives. Anna, who's your crush or what is your crush? My crush is not a who, it's a what. Sounding a bit weird, but I have just been obsessed with Melbourne weather since winter started. And that is my crush. Our sunsets have been magnificent. The sun rises, the beautiful blue skies. I mean, when you can't go anywhere and you're just walking around, how divine has Melbourne been? So I don't know that it's it's a weird crush, but I've just loved everything about our weather lately. We haven't had any wind. It's just been beautiful. The sea has been like a mill pond. Just the the, the light... A lot of uh, a lot of people have said during the lockdown and since Corona hit that uh, it has given them time to appreciate the small pleasures. So maybe Mother Nature we, is one of those. Small no, uh, Mother Nature exactly. That's the that's what I was looking for. No, fantastic. I've absolutely. It's just been beautiful. I've loved it. Carol, you had a rather lovely post on your Instagram the other day. The most magnificent sunset across the water. Oh yeah, I really, I really concur, Anna. The oh, um, the sun rises and the sun sets. The colours. Sunday, Sunday, Monday, and Tuesday have been spectacular. I, I mean, the pink, the uh, orange. I, I've never seen. Yeah, I've never, and they even look. They even come up well when you take a photo on your mobile phone, and the silhouettes underneath them. No, it's been, 
It really is. Um, I, I sort of have forgotten how beautiful winter sunsets and sunrises are. I know, and I think we've just had the opportunity to get out, enjoy it. You know, even the frost, I've loved the frost. I feel like I'm just communing with nature. Well, for, for, all, <laughs> for, all, all, for all the bods in the 36 lockdown municipalities of Melbourne, you can go for a walk and you yeah. can do it a number of times a day. So you might be feeling a bit housebound and you might be feeling a bit depressed or anxious. Go for a walk and, as Anna has said, look around you, look up at the sky. Look up. Look, at, and, and it is just such a beautiful time to be in Melbourne. I agree. BSF girls, books, screen and food. And, Anna, you're going to kick us off with the book. I am. My book is Liam Piper's Sweetness and Light, which the dog has chewed the spine of. So it's a little bit I can vouch. I can mm. vouch for that, Carol. It's <laughs> dog-eared, literally. Dog-eared. <laughs> book it, is coming with Anna today. Now, he's a Melbourne-based journalist who I actually hadn't heard of, who's already written a book called The Toy Maker, which I think has won quite a lot of awards. But this book, Sweetness and Light, it's it's... An unsettling page turner, it's addictive and it's a story set in India of the battle between love and lust, morality and corruption. And it's a sort of underbelly tour of India told from the perspective of two Westerners, both seeking um, some form of escape from their former lives. So the first um, protagonist is the Aussie, Connor, who's an expat conman and he's escaping his failed dreams of Olympic swimming and his father's general disappointment about his life. And then the second um, character is an American woman called Sasha, who's escaping a failed New York marriage, the inability to get pregnant. And she's hoping to find fulfilment at a yoga retreat slash ashram with a resident guru. Anyway, Connor and Sasha meet by chance on a train and through them we get the full Indian experience from holy India to poverty-stricken India as their stories untold. Um, it's a great read and it's got fabulously fleshed out characters with the complete backstory, which I love. I, lo- I always want to know more about the characters. So the backstories are almost like subplots of the whole thing. It's fantastic. Um, so I love that. And it's got a shock ending, which I didn't see coming. So, no, it's a really good read. Right. I definitely recommend And I can say it's been a slow burn oh. because it's been around for, I think it came out at the end of last year, probably. I don't know how it ended up by my bed for the dog to chew. And we just keep selling it, one or two, so great. the word is getting around. That's, a, that's a good beautiful tip. cover of a sort of Indian sunset. So that's, I think, perhaps And who doesn't love attention. an Indian story? Sweetness in light. Yeah. Uh, Carol, you have a scream. Well, look, Anna, I, I know you're going to take me to task on this. I can't believe you liked it, really and truly. I am really enjoying The Trouble with Maggie Cole. Mm. And it, it's, a, it's a bit of a guilty pleasure. Mm. It's actually on, um, I think it's on, uh, it's on Foxtel, isn't it? I'm pretty sure. I think sure it's, it's BBC, BBC First. Yeah, Foxtel. Yeah, BBC First. Um, it stars Dawn French as a local busybody and... She calls Amateur herself historian. A local historian. Yes. Oh, yep. I'm cringing she, at the she, thought of it. Um, Anna, look, I only we all thought we'd enjoy it because it's set in the most beautiful town in Devon. And uh, if we do end up walking in Devon, girls, I think we have to go to this town. It looks absolutely. It's the opening. It's worth it for the scenery alone. With there's you a, there. There's a scene in the opening credits every week that we don't still know, do we, Corrie? No. What it means no. when someone is hit by a car. 
But it, doesn't it? Doesn't the opening have a sense of the Doc Martens about it? Totally. It was just so oh, generic. I, really, I enjoy. I, I actually enjoyed it. I can't believe you girls what? are enjoying it. I, I found the characters just so stereotypical. Anyway, carrots, your screen. Back to you. Sorry. No, well, they are stereotypical, and I, but I think Anna, because you had given it such a thumbs down, and you're really so negative about something, I thought this will be absolute shite. But in fact. Mm. I don't know. It has it, it it, gained a depth over the three episodes. I don't want to be too... I don't want to extol it too much, Corrie, but it's a lovely, light, um, as I say, guilty pleasure set in a beautiful coastal town. The story actually does get a bit more interesting, Anna, and, yes, it's a little bit silly, but I'm enjoying it. Maybe it's maybe it's indicative of where my brain is at <laughs> at the moment. But I'll, I'll, I'll watch Dawn French till the cows come home. And um, the husband is a bit annoying, I'll oh. grant you. The best friend is a bit annoying. Oh. The local author is a bit annoying. Everyone but- is annoying except for Dawn. I mean, I love Dawn more than the next person. Vicar of Dibley, my hands down all time funniest, most brilliant. But English. she's. But I think. I think that what's interesting about this role is that she's not an entirely likable person, Maggie Cole. If she was living in your village, she'd give you the pip. Oh, absolutely, uh, no, Carol. And, I think and, the problem is the writing is bad. The oh, script thank is you, bad. Corrie. But yes. you actually have in not only in uh, in Dawn French, but also Mark Heap, the actor who plays her husband, who's the local school principal. The son, and particularly the daughter-in-law as well, is a terrific actor as well. I can't think of her name. She loves a wine or a gin and tonic. <laughs> but I, I think what seems to be happening is that although it seemed like she'd ruined everything, you know, it's actually what she's done is actually fix a few problems as well. I think that's going to be the moral of the story, don't you? I think it will be indeed. Um, and, and everybody, look, she's exposing information about people and I think there's going to be a bit of gratitude at the end of it all that it's all come out, Caro. I really suggest that people do have a look at the trouble with Maggie Cole. So on to food. I have a recipe. On the weekend, my friend Shaz came down to stay and she bought a hostess gift. Actually, she and Roscoe bought several hostess gifts, but one in particular I have been devouring a little one each day, Anna and Caro, with my afternoon cup of tea. It's called Everyone's Favourite Lemon Slice. This is the best lemon slice I have ever had in and my it looks, life. It looks absolutely Moorish and divine. And we were saying too, don't you just love a lemon slice? Who Can't doesn't go. love a lemon slice? And it lives on forever. I'm not going to go into the recipe. Miss Jane will put this up <laughs> on the show notes. And we'll also, I will take a photograph of this and put it on the Instagram, don't shoot pod Instagram account so people can see it. But it's the condensed milk and a, and a cup of coconut, which I think really makes mm. it the Mari biscuits, butter, icing, sugar, lemon and so on. It's really yummy. I have it here, Caro. Sadly, mm. you can't have any because I've bought in the Tupperware to give some to Miss Jane and to Anna. So um, bad luck, kiddo. <laughs> oh, well, you can make me some next week, Corrie. I will. I'm, I'll make up a batch. Anyway, that's a wonderful lemon slice. Thank you, Red Energy, for supporting us. As I said, powered by the Snowy Hydro, a leader in renewable energy. Call 131 806 for Real Aussie Energy. They're a Melbourne-based team. They're really lovely, really helpful. Tell them Caro and Corrie sent you, which is in fact what my husband did, and he didn't let on that he was connected with this podcast. And they still gave him terrific service, so there's no such thing as insider trading there. Caro, quick one, what are you grumpy about? Well, actually, Anna's grumpy today. Oh, I think, sorry. Corey. I'm sorry. She is. My apologies. Anna, you're grumpy. I am. I've had a crush and I'm grumpy. Look, I think everyone's probably pretty grumpy about this. Is the increased 
amount of money people are going to have to pay for certain degrees, tertiary degrees. Um, I agree. And I I just want to read, I don't normally read things out from my phone, but my great friend Max Delaney, who is the director at ACCA, you know, the Australian Centre of Contemporary Arts, in Melbourne sent me this, and I think it's just so true, so bear with me. The study of art history, law, ethics, political philosophy, design environments, critical thinking and communication skills is more important than ever, especially in this era of fake news, dodgy politics, neoliberal economics, AI and climate change, as it is the right for all people to receive an education regardless of socioeconomic status. The incentivising of some areas of study at the expense of humanities is a blatant attack on the foundations of our culture creatively and democracy, and we need to be opposed and it needs to be revoked. And I think, well said, Max, it's just terrible. That that news, here, here. we just haven't had nearly enough discussion about that and what sort of society we are creating when, you know, you, it's going to cost you an absolute fortune to get an arts degree, well, which leads it, to so many fabulous It's all about things. universities becoming job factories, not places exactly. of learning. and. Look, the humanities are the things that drive our bookshop, for example. And our society. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> And it's not just kids doing arts not because they're not sure what to do. The no. learning, the learning to write, the learning to communicate, think ideas, think strategically, mm. apart from what they might learn if they do history or politics or and art history. And where it might take them. Yeah. No, it's really, um, so that's I'm what I'm you. grumpy about. I think we all share your grumpy mm. there. Um, okay. those, um, those vice chancellors, Corrie, have a lot to answer for too. When you look at what they earn and what they should be doing anyway, that's um, not doing. deviating, but well said, Anna. Um, Corrie, um, thank you, Anna. You were grumpy for red energy. And the number again, <laughs> 131806. Corrie, I'll kick off the six quick questions because the Eden Monaro by-election is on this weekend. Level of interest? Huge, Caro. Huge, I have to say. And we should all be watching this one with interest. There are a few issues on the table. Climate change, particularly given the recent bushfires in that area. Job creation, federal government's response to the bushfires, healthcare, job keeper, job seeker. There's so much to discuss. And Anthony Albanese, the federal Labor leader, has been campaigning quietly in the area. But of course, in crises such as we've been going through with COVID-19, Governments that handle the situation relatively well are in favour. So we will wait and see. I have a question for Anna, and I've been dying to ask you this ever (laughs) since you arrived this morning and we had our cup of tea. Tell us about Freddie the puppy. What's the update? Freddie the puppy is completely gorgeous, but just think runaway three-year-old toddler. Nothing is safe. Nothing. I mean, you're having a shower. The bath mat's pulled away from you. She's had a crack at everything from the books beside my bed to the good cosmetics. Two lots of Chris's headphones have already been chomped. What cosmetics is she after? Oh, you know, some nice lip balm that you might have just popped by your bed. That's completely mauled. Um, No, she's absolutely into everything. And those teeth are razor sharp. The good at vast expense to the management, Wolford Stockings, I'm afraid are no longer my winter treat, gone. So, no. But she's so cute. She's so cute. And we absolutely love her. But God, she's a bloody terror. (laughs) Anyway, all good. Caro, can you believe uh, Debbie Harry's birthday is this week and she turns 75 today? Oh. Uh, What's your favourite amongst many? Deborah Harry songs. 
Oh, I can't believe she's 75. I actually watched, as you know, I loved the, um, the recent series, the new series with um, Zoe Kravitz of High Fidelity. I'm and Debbie actually to makes that. an appearance in it. Well, Debbie makes an appearance in it and, you know, she's, she's still rocking on. But, um, <laughs> oh, look, very boring, but it has to be Heart of Glass. I mean, do you remember when that song burst onto the scene? Mm. And that was the, that was that the is, Giorgio... Um, Remember the producer? Maroda. I was going to say Amani, but I think I'm in Thank the wrong you, field. Maroda. <laughs> you were the rock star here with Jane. She knows yeah, know. all of this stuff. Sorry, Jane, I should have just... I always loved Atomic too, I have to say. She didn't actually ever have a dud. But, but that Heart of Glass clip I just loved. And loved. Atomic, Cory, I absolutely agree, probably number two. But he was hot as a stove. He was absolutely brilliant. <laughs> I haven't now, heard um, that comment. I think it's one of my brothers, actually, or one of my cousins. Since reopening, what is your most unusual op shop item for sale? My most unusual item is that our stallholder has sadly closed the Greville Street Bazaar and she donated her entire stall to us. So we have been unpacking the most extraordinary collection of wares. Italian glass, German pottery, English dinner sets, kitsch, 50s lighting, as I said to you, Corrie, salt and pepper shapers of every design. Can you put and, a couple aside for me? Because I, we I, seem to have a dearth I've of got dogs, I've got dice, I, I just can't tell you. Anyway, it's it's like being in an episode of Antique Roadshow because every single thing has got a really detailed description of what it is. So every time you unpack something, you're like, what the hell? And it's a Victorian glass um you know, vase that they used to put um, flowers down the centre of the table at Christmas. It's got holly, it's got berries. It's been incredible. So that's been my best... Anna, um, could you please remind potties who are salivating out there the address <laughs> of your op shop, please? Um, it's 262 <laughs> Chapel Street, Windsor, oh, Paran, opposite the uh, Paran Town Hall. And I just wanted to say, but and from that... Um, great um, stall holder stuff. I bought the most beautiful old shovel with a really rustic old bit of wood as the handle and a great Claris Cliff jug. So I'm very happy. Claris Cliff jug at the op shop. <laughs> I know. No, there was more Claris Cliff. There bought will be the a jug. stampede now. We've actually halved her pricing, so it's very competitive. Uh, and Anna's indulgences. What's the most recent mm. indulgence you've had? Before I do, I just want to make a point about salt and pepper shakers. As much as they look good and they're oh. cute, no one uses them anymore, do they? Right. Because we we grind it all. Why do you think she went bankrupt? I mean... Oh, for, stop. No, but for God's sake, <laughs> if that's your bread and butter, as if you're pouring, it up, you're pouring out running salt. But they are cute if you like that kitsch sort of stuff. I went round the Truffle Road um, last week or this week. Oh. It was the world's most expensive toasted sandwich. It was um, from the Paran market and it was um, from that amazing cheese place, Maker and Munger, where the truffle man across the way has shaved truffles into a toasted sort of gruyere, sort of fondue style baby toasted sandwich. Can you imagine such richness? Would you like to tell us how much it cost? (laughs) Oh, it was... It was really expensive It was for a toasted sandwich. Did you have to but take out a yummy. bank loan? Brendan and I went halves. We, it was so rich we couldn't eat one on its own. Anyway, it was absolutely beautiful. And I'm not really a truffle person. I think they are a bit rich, but it's truffle season at the moment. And they are, you know, if you're into truffles, they're sort of everywhere. And um, pasta, risotto, Toasted cheese sandwiches. I can recommend it for just a once in a lifetime taste experience. They are beautiful. Now, Corrie, what moment this week took you straight back to the seventies and your fifteen year old self? Two two things on the one day, Caro. 
and they were both sayings. So a customer of mine, upon hearing that I could actually acquire an obscure book from him from the United States, he replied via email, grouse! Exclamation. <laughs> I haven't said grouse, grouse since the Halebury fate in 1975, I reckon. And the other one was Hamish Blake, who was posting uh, a really cute little Instagram, his small daughter brushing Barbie's hair with a really sharp knife. And he said, I'm sure everyone is stoked hairdressers are back. Stoked! Oh, <laughs> taking me back to tread shoes, head banging, sherbet, countdown. I reckon I've said stoked. Miller shirts. We haven't said grouse, I can assure you of that. Oh, I loved it. I just was, I thought, oh, that's so nice that I haven't forgotten. And neither has Hamish and neither has my customer. So let's just keep the 70s <laughs> sayings happening, everybody. Lovely episode. Anna, thank you for joining us again today. Our pleasure. My pleasure. So nice to see you. And um, make sure you look after that naughty puppy. Mm. Um, Caro, I hope that um, working from home has been successful today and you get lots done. And uh, thank you, Miss Jane, for your wonderful producing today. And thank you, of course, to Red Energy, 131806 for Real Aussie Energy. Thank you to all the feedback and comments we received from our messengers. We appreciate it so much. And today we didn't even get anywhere near getting through the mailbag. But if you want to contribute to us, please just leave a note for us on Twitter or Instagram. It's at Don't Shoot Pod. You can join up there and follow us. Or you can email feedback at don'tshootpod.com.au. And what do we say, ladies? Don't Don't shoot the the messenger. If you love an insightful podcast, Red Energy's podcast lifestyle series is for you. For home design and decoration, don't miss Homestyle with Shana Blaze. Getting the balance of large open spaces is about creating zones within one space. And if you're busy in the garden, catch the sport of gardening with Dale Vine. Compost is on trend at the moment. Powered by Snowy Hydro, a leader in renewable energy, switch to Aussie-owned Red Energy today. Red Energy's podcast lifestyle available from your podcast provider and on the SEN app.